Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny.
How you doing this morning? Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe that this message is is uh, for a lot of people here, and and um, obviously I wouldn't be here speaking it. But um, I've been asking the Lord; just been trying to seek the Lord on um, what. What's the next level? You know, because we've been talking a lot. What's that next level? You know, it's like we keep hearing like it. DC, it's time to rise to the next level. It's time to, you know, time to step up, time to rise up, and, and come to the next level. And um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that. Does this sound weird to you? You want to mess with it? You can. Um, and so um, I've been asking the Lord about that, and um, the Lord just really just began to speak to me that. Uh, I believe there's two things for for this year that if we can get a revelation of that I feel like that's going to get us to the next level as a, as a church and as a people. Uh, we'll never rise to a ne- another level as a church if we don't first rise as a people. You know what I'm saying? It's because like, we we have to we have to individually be willing to uh, do what the Lord asks us to do and 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 come into a new place. Because um, if you want to come to a new place. And a new level, then you, you kind of have to become something new. Something new has to happen in you. You can't just keep doing the same things you've always done and expect something different to happen, right? That's the definition of insanity. If you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. And what the Lord brought me to just recently, I feel, and, I've, and it's, this is nothing new. It's not a new message or anything, but I feel that the next level for us as a church is going to be found in two things, and it's grace and the Holy Spirit. And let me, let me add this to in front of grace, that it would be supernatural grace and then the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It's, going to be, it's got to be supernatural because we can't, we can't get to some kind of new level in Christ or in the kingdom of God by expecting natural things, you know what I'm saying? You, you have to rise. If you want to rise to a supernatural level, then you have to think supernaturally, okay? And so what I feel the Lord has just kind of given me some revelation on is just the supernatural power and work of grace in our life and the supernatural power that the Holy Spirit gives us. And for one thing, it's grace covers your sin, Okay, but it's not a license to sin. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Okay, it's, it's when 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 Jesus gives you His supernatural grace, it's not all of a sudden like He's giving you a license that says you know you know class class C for sin. You know it's it's okay. I've got my my license. I can do whatever I want to now. Um, that's not what the grace is for. If you, if that's how you understand grace, then you have a misunderstanding of what grace is. Because the grace of God is, the, is his supernatural provision to release you from the law of sin and death. Because the law of sin and death was at work for a very long time. But what's amazing to me, here's the revelation I really got, was the fact that Abraham lived outside of the law. He, lived out, he was 400 years before the Ten Commandments were ever etched in stone. Okay, uh, Joseph Everybody remember Joseph? He was thrown into, uh, uh, he put into slavery. He was brought, he was uh, Potiphar's, uh, you know, basically butler or uh, slave, really. And he's, what, 
years and years and years before the law was ever given, before God told Moses, this is the law, write it down, all right? Before this was ever done, this is what happened that Joseph, way before the law, suddenly he was, like, he was put in a situation where he was tempted, and what did it say he did? He fled. He fled because he said, I will not do this thing because I will not sin. I will not commit the sin against my God. It wasn't even about her. It's not that. I'm gonna, I don't want to commit sin against you. I don't want to commit sin against so much about Potter for business. I don't want to commit sin against my God. All right? Now, so how did he do that outside of the law? Because in our modern day right now, we've got, kind of gone back to, like, we have to have the law or else it's just craziness. It's, it's just everybody's just free for all. All right? That's kind of the image that we've been given. It's like if you take away the, the law, the Ten Commandments, all those things, you take that away, then, then people are just going to go crazy. You know, people just go nuts. It's like, well, if that's your understanding of what grace is, then you don't know what grace is. Because grace came and it set you free from the law of sin and death. And here's how it happened through one man. One man. Okay? It wasn't through, it was not through Moses. It wasn't through the prophets. It wasn't through Elijah. One man. John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's grace and it's truth. The law, the Ten Commandments, everything there, the, and, it's, and it's all there. It's like it's not, it doesn't release us from necessarily uh, what, uh, what sin is. Sin is still sin, okay? It's like if you commit murder, it's still sin. But how did, how did Abraham know what was right, what was wrong? How did, how did Joseph know what was right, what was wrong before the Ten Commandments were ever written? And what the Lord's just going to show me is that he, he had relationship with him. Jesus has brought us into a place of relationship with the Father. So that now that the law, it's his commands are written on our heart. They're not etched in stone, but they're written in our heart. And where Adam was the first one to commit sin, he was the first one to mess up. He's, he brought sin into the world. And when that happened, he, with it, with the sin that he committed, he also handed over the authority that was given to him. Because God said, I've given you authority over the earth, and you're to tend it, you're to look out for it. But then when that happened, when he sinned, he basically handed over the authority. You see, that's why Satan wanted to wanted them to commit sin because he knew if that could happen, then he, it gives him a chance to now legally have right and dominion over things. And you see this later on because Satan takes Jesus up when he's tempting him, and he says, you see all this? All this I have. It's all yours. You just bow down and worship me. Now, how can he really say? He, he said that legally. Legally, he said, all this is mine. You see it? It's mine. It's been given to me. Who gave it to him? Adam gave it to him when he sinned. He, hey, man, here it is. It's like, uh, I didn't know it was this important. But here it is, you know, for, for some fruit. So, and what happened is, is that it was man's disobedience, man's sin, caused that to happen. So that was the first Adam, but it said of Jesus that he was the second Adam. So when he came, he came back to take what the enemy had stolen. Not only with it, he abolishes the law and the commandments in doing so. We're going to read about that. All right, let's look again uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him. Who is he? Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, when Jesus went to the cross, it's like that he, he died on the cross. He also, he, went, he took back the keys. You see, when he, when he rises, he says, he tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me. All authority now has been given to me. This is after the cross, after he'd risen from the dead and, and power and victory. Now he says, all authority has been given to me. And then he sends his disciples out. Okay, so he basically, he, and he's saying to you today that all authority has been given to me, and now he's sending us out. He's saying, go. But he doesn't send us out without the ability to do something. He doesn't send us out without that ability. And that's what grace is. It's the supernatural ability to walk in the fullness of Christ. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like, you know, when you come to the cross, we have this image where grace is just at the cross, and we come and we bow and, we, and maybe we, we weep and we sob and we're sorry for our sins. And then we turn around and then we walk out somehow feeling like now, how do, what do I got to do now? What do I do now? How do I make this work? How many have ever felt that way? I have. I, it's like it's you walk out feeling like you felt good in the moment of like surrender. God, I surrender. And that surrender is what he wants. But the surrender has to continue because if you walk out from that from that moment thinking that now somehow I have to attain something, that now I, I, gotta, I gotta keep up with his favor because what, this, is, this is the mistake we make. We think that if we sin, we've now fallen out of the favor of God. And that is a lie. That's what Satan wants you to believe. When, if he knows that you're, that you're gonna sin. He knew you were gonna sin. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. If that were a case, if, if, the, if we had to be righteous in order to attain salvation, then every one of us in here are living a lie. Because every one of us have, have said, I will commit my all to you, Jesus. And then we walk out and we find ourselves like a day or two later in sin. Like where we, we find ourselves where we sin. And, I, and there's different levels of sin and all that kind of stuff. And we can debate and talk about that all day long. But I don't, I'm, sin is sin. Whether you gossip about someone, whether you commit adultery, whether you commit idolatry, sin is sin. It doesn't like diminish sin. Grace in no way diminishes what sin is. It just releases you from the condemnation of it. It releases you from the judgment of it. Okay? Because under the law, under the commands, it said, this is what it says. If you sin, you pay the penalty for it. Or something has to pay the penalty for you. So what they would do is that they would, every year, the people of God, the Israelites, would come before the presence of the priest, and they would confess all their sins to the priest. And the priest would, in essence, he would take his hands. And I have a picture here. If you could pull up some of the lamb pictures and just some of that imagery. I want you to get some of this imagery. So we have lambs. Lambs are represented as the, as the sacrifice. That was what was a suitable sacrifice for our sin was a lamb. And they would bind that lamb up, and what would happen, if we can get to the one where the, yeah, keep going, right here, you see him laying his hand on the, on the lamb? That was, in essence, here's the people's sins, God, I'm laying the sins on the lamb, and now we're going to kill the lamb as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. 
And that was how your sins were atoned for. That's what atonement was, or paid for. That's how your sins were paid for. But this is what it says. Here's the good news. This is the gospel, the simple message of the gospel. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. For the sins of the whole world. It doesn't matter where you come from. See, it used to, when Christ came, he came for the Israelites. He came for them first, and it says us second, the Gentiles. But he came for the whole world. It said God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever Whosoever, what? Believes in him. Belief. Belief is huge because what is, what is, you find Jesus constantly rebuking his disciples. What was he constantly rebuking them for? Was it their sin? Was he saying, you know, Peter, I can't believe you did that. Peter, I can't believe you committed that sin. I saw what you did, Peter. No. No? Was it? Was it anything like that? Was it, was it anything? No. He was constantly rebuking them because of their lack of faith. He was constantly rebuking them because they had doubt. They had doubt. You see, when the enemy can convince you to doubt your salvation and doubt that you are saved and doubt that you are worthy, he's now got you to backtrack it's like you've gone in reverse and you've gone back to the place before the cross where you are now still trying to pay for your own sins your own way well maybe if i pray some more if i pray harder maybe god i just don't feel your presence anymore i know i messed up god and i know that i know that you're there but i don't feel like you're there and i just don't i feel so i don't know god what's going on why do you feel so far away is i know that lord i I thought that i paid for that sin already i thought that we already got this straightened out that's the stuff that kind of goes how many of you ever thought that way i have I've thought that way, God, maybe if I pray a little bit more, maybe if I read my Bible a little bit more, maybe I can wash myself with the word, and maybe that'll make me right again. I'm not undermining the power of prayer. I'm not undermining the power of the word of God. I'm not undermining any of those things, because all those things are powerful in our life, but if you're using those things to try to attain your salvation, then you've got it all wrong. We've got to go back to the start, and we've got to get our belief system right. Because our belief should be in Christ and his atonement and his atonement alone. And when we get that revelation, it sets us free from the law of sin and death. Is this making sense? Okay. Let's go. Uh, here we go. Chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. This is Ephesians chapter 2, we're on verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Its desires and its thoughts. At one time, we were all gratifying our own desires and those thoughts. How many have ever been in that place? I have. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. 
What does that mean by natured, objects of wrath? We were born into sin. We were born, you see, we, we didn't have any choice in the matter. We were born into this because of Adam's sin. It's been passed down from generations to generation. It's like, so if you are without Christ, you're still in your sins. But if you are in Christ, you're free from your sins. You're free. He has set you free from your sins. You're no longer bound. You're no longer an object of wrath. He is no longer angry with you. He's no longer judging you. But he has set you free from all of that. When he looks at you, he sees the child of God. He sees Jesus Christ in you. That's what the Father sees. When he looks at you, he sees that in you. I hope you're getting encouraged today because that's the whole point of this. I hope that you're encouraged by this, that you would understand it and just that we could wake up. God, just open our eyes right now to see that we are the righteousness of Christ. But because of his great what for us? His great what? His great love for us. Because of his great love for us. It was because of that. It wasn't because of the great law that he gave us. It wasn't because of the commandments that he gave us. It was because of his great love. for. That's why he did it. That's why he did it for us. Because he loved us. For God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in what? Mercy. He's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what? It's by grace you have been saved. It's by his grace that you've been saved. His supernatural grace is what, is saved, is what saved you and it's what is saving you. It's not by your, by your own merit. Your amount of Bible time, it's not, it's what, that's not what is saving you. Your amount of prayer time, that's not what is saving you. See, if you do that, you're still doing it under the condemnation. You're still under the idea that if I don't pray enough, then God's not going to like that. God's going to be angry with me. And then, and then me and God, now, we got, now we're separated. Jesus said this, I will never what? I will never leave you. I will never what? Why do we think that the moment that we mess up, the moment that we stumble, we trip, we fall, that suddenly God has now pulled all his salvation, all, and now it's, he's just waiting to pour his wrath? Why do we think that? A lot of us still have that mentality that we think that God has now, he's, it's like, you messed up, son. Get ready. All right? Judgment's coming. But if you are still solid in knowing who you are in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. It's by grace that you've been saved. David prayed this. Lord, Lord take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And David was in a place still under the law. Christ had not come. Christ hadn't come yet. So uh, under the law, when David sinned, God did pull back. God did pull back. God pulled his, his spirit because it said in, the, in those times that the spirit would come upon men. 
You can, when Samson, where did he get his strength? It said the Spirit of God came upon him and he was strengthened. It wasn't, he wasn't, a, I, don't, I don't even know if he was a super strong guy just in and of himself, but it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that he did those things. When you read about Samson, Samson killed all, like, like hundreds of men with a jawbone of a donkey and he pulled down pillars onto the Philistines and he did all these amazing things. He, he ripped open a lion with his bare hands. But he did it when it said the Spirit of God came upon him. Every time you look at those moments, it said the Spirit of God came upon him, and then he did those things. The Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God came upon him. But I want to tell you right now, the Spirit of God is upon you. It's upon you. Every one of you, the Spirit of God is upon you right now. And all you have to do is ask and receive. He's not... The Spirit of God is not asking you to prove yourself by how much you can speak in tongues. What he's asking is that you prove yourself by that you would show the the fruit of the Spirit in your life. We need to speak in tongues. We need to to develop that. I'm not saying that we we shouldn't do that, but what I'm saying is that's not the point. Speaking in tongues is like it's a sign. It is some evidence. But I've seen some people who speak in tongues... And there's zero fruit in their life. And so for me, I question whether or not they, were, they really received God or even received real salvation because if they're still acting as if they don't know who God is and they don't have the character of Christ, then what's to prove that Christ ever came in the first place? But it has to be the character of Christ in us. People have to see Jesus in us. And it's not about superficial things. Jesus was constantly called, you know, questioned about superficial things. One time his disciples just decided to start eating and didn't wash their hands. The religious, the self-righteous were like, what are your disciples doing? They're breaking code here, man. This ain't right. Your disciples aren't right. And you see that happen over and over again. Jesus never called the qualified. Oh, man. Go back and read your Bible if you think that these these men were qualified. They, were, they had zero qualifications. He called fishermen to come follow him. If he wanted to call the qualified, he would have went to the Pharisees because they were qualified. They had done their Bible study. They had done their prayer time. They had done all, all those things that needed to be done. They were fulfilling those things, but they were just filling the, the laws and the traditions of men. They were not, they'd had no relationship to stand on. And so they were still lost in their sin. Is this this helping anybody today? All right. Good. Good. All right. Um, Here we go. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his what? His grace. The incomparable riches of his grace. As if we haven't already experienced enough grace, he still has more ready to pour out on you, to show and just lavish on you. You see that shown with the prodigal son. When he, he goes away, he, he gets an inheritance of God, and he takes it. He gets this inheritance from his father, and he goes and he blows it, totally blows it, on wild living. That's what he went and spent his inheritance on. And then it said all of a sudden he finds himself totally broke, completely broke. How many of you have ever been completely broke spiritually? All right, you've spent everything you can. The, the amount of your prayer doesn't seem to work anymore. You know, you're, you're, I mean, it's just everything you try just seems like you're broke, like you're, you just got empty pockets. And so he finds himself totally desperate, 
and in a place, and he said, you know what? And he, find him, actually, he finds himself eating slop. Okay, we get ourselves in that situation when we, you know, we think of ourselves as less than a son, all right? When we think of ourselves as less, then we find ourselves like the prodigal son who is out there spending all his money, all, all the money that was given to him, all his resources, everything. He finds himself, he spent it all, and now he's eating slop with pigs. And sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where it's like, man, it's like, I'm just, you know, spiritually speaking, I feel like all I eat are Twinkies. That's all we get. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're trying. You're trying to get, God, give me something, please. Lord, give me something out of this. And I just, and you're reading the Bible, but you feel like all you're getting are just spiritual McNuggets. And it's just, you know, there's no nutrition to it. So he, he says, you know what? I had a better life back at home. Maybe I can go home and maybe I can be a servant in my dad's household. Now, how many have thought like that? I know I messed up, so maybe he'll take me back as a servant. Maybe I can serve my way back into good favor with God. Maybe I can help with the church this, the church that, and maybe God will begin to kind of take me back. Maybe, I can, maybe he'll, he'll start to look at me again at least as a servant, you know, because I'm not worthy as a son. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves, if we're being honest. I think I found myself there before where, God, maybe, you know, this is, maybe I can just serve some more, you know, because I don't really feel worthy enough right now. You know, and I think that's where we kind of find ourselves as, as, as Christians. We should be Christ-like. We should have Christ in us, and yet we find ourselves just feeling completely Helpless and worthless. And that's where this kid found himself. And so he goes back, and I'd heard this before, that in the original story, this was not like a brand new story, that Jesus is actually Jesus was retelling the story, because in the original story, he goes back to his father, and his father actually rebukes him, and his father actually turns him away. But Jesus says that when he comes, he, start, he gets home, and his father sees him from afar, from a distance, and he starts running to him. And, he's got, and he takes him, he embraces him, and he, he clothes him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. And he throws a party for him. Now, let me ask you this. Where is the repentance in that? Where was the repentance? Did he, I mean, he didn't, you know, he, he came back with this mindset of like, you know, maybe I can just be a servant again, but he, but the father, before he even had a chance to even say anything, to even say, I'm sorry, his father is already running to him and putting something on him. It's like, God's not looking for your apology. (laughs) He knew you were going to mess up before you messed up. Why do we think that God only knows it just from that moment? He already knew. He knows us from beginning to end. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your thoughts. He knows, he knows what you're thinking right now. And so why do we think differently of God suddenly when we make, we make a mistake and now we think, God, oh, man, he ain't going to take me back after this one. <laughs> man, this was bad. I mean, I've done some bad things, but this one's bad. Again, this is, grace is not a license for us to just go out there and just and, and wild living. It, <laughs> grace wasn't his license. That was called foolishness. What he did was foolish. He took his inheritance and he went and squandered it. The grace of God was all on the Father. 
Because the grace of God was him running to his son and embracing him and taking him back in and then throwing a party for him. You see it again when it says that Jesus, when he he tells a parable of the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. And then it says that he goes and he he gets the sheep and and he throws it on his shoulder and he finds it. He throws it on his shoulder. So he's carrying the sheep. And it shows just a great picture of what Jesus does for us. He's carrying us. He brings us back into the fold. And then it says that he throws a party for the sheep. <laughs> what shepherd does that? You know, I'm telling you, this is like any shepherd who heard this, like, what are you talking about throwing a party for a lost sheep, man? That's just weird. You don't throw a party because a sheep got lost. You reprimand the sheep. No, don't run away. Stop running away. Stop it. That's what you do to a lost sheep. If I were a shepherd, that's what I would do. (laughs) You see this? You stay here. You stay. 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 I'd have my staff ready. Stay. That would be me. I'm not a good shepherd in that sense. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is a great shepherd. He's a wonderful. He goes and he finds the lost sheep and he, t- he puts them on his shoulders. He brings it back and he throws a party for this sheep. <laughs> if it were me, I would be like, stupid sheep. Why would you run away? You have it good right here. You could have got hurt. You could have got killed. But God just takes us back. He puts us on his shoulders. He carries us and he brings us back to a place. And that's his grace. And I ask you, where was the repentance? Did the sheep in that story, did the sheep, you know, bah and and cry because it didn't do what was right? Did the sheep show any sign of remorse for running? It it doesn't talk about that. It only talks about what the shepherd did. And that's what grace is. It's all about what Jesus did. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. And now, because of what he has done, now we can get somewhere. Now we can actually start walking in some authority and some victory because sin no longer has a place in our life. Because, man, when someone takes me back like that, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. You don't see, there's no follow up story of like, you know, years later, the prodigal son, he. He really got a hankering for that you know, wild living again, and he went back out again and blew it. Man, he was in the house, and he, he was thankful to be home. He was thankful to be home. All right, it's by grace you've been saved. Verse 6, uh, verse 8. For it is by what that you've been saved? Grace, grace you've been saved. Through what? Faith. Faith. All right? Abraham, he's before the law. And it said that he did something when God told him that you're going to be a father of many nations. What does it say that Abraham did? He believed God. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. Now, that word accredited is very interesting there because really like what happened is that he's before the law had been put in place and before Jesus had (laughs) totally taken care of the law. So it was accredited to him as righteousness. He was called righteous right there in that moment. And you can look at Abraham in, in the book of Hebrews and you find him as one of the heroes of the faith. 
as a patriarch of the faith, one of the originals, one of the heroes, one of the Michael Jordans of the faith. He was, he's someone that we look to, and yet if you read his story, by every human standard, by every standard of the law, he was by no means a righteous man because he made mistakes. He lied about his wife. He let his wife basically put her in a position to basically commit adultery just to get his, his neck off the line because he was afraid. He basically said, here's my wife. He was walking through this area, and a king saw his wife, saw she was pretty, and he was so scared that he, he said, well, she's just my sister. Uh, you, wanna, you can marry her if you want. Just don't hurt us. That's messed up, man. <laughs> I don't care what culture you're from. That's messed up. That is messed up. My wife would not like that one bit. I would, I would be hearing about that for the rest of my life. And he does it not once, but twice he does this. Abraham, by no means, was a righteous man, but he was considered righteous because of what? His belief is where, is where he, his thoughts were. Okay? God's not interested in your behavior modification He's not there like trying to modify your behavior. What he's looking for is absolute transformation. That's what he's looking for. Because repentance comes from a word of metanoia, and it means a change of mind. See, I used to think it, it referred more to like walking, and I think I've given this illustration. It is in a sense like that where you, you turn, you're walking this way, and all of a sudden you turn, and now, and now you've gone the opposite direction. But really what it's it referring to is the way that you think. If you change the way that you think, then your behavior begins to change. We know this simply just in natural things. We know this. Uh, I mean, if, you, if you're trying to quit smoking, like, I mean, if, you, if that's something that has been a, uh, that you want to do, it's like then, it's like, you know, if you still really, like, you know, crave and desire, like, the cigarettes, then you're probably going to keep smoking. You have to change the mindset first. That has to kind of change first. Something has to change in there. All right? it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen. All right? If you want to get yourself out of debt, you have to, we, we've been working on that. And it has, it has to be a complete change of mind. We have to repent from the way we used to do things, the way we used to think about things, so that, so that now God can help us get on the right track. And so that's what happens when we repent. We, are, we allow Christ and we, we begin to change our mind on how we have viewed things. And I believe that we need to repent from condemnation. And I'm not condemning you if you've been under condemnation. What I want to speak is freedom to you, to let you know that Christ has set you free from that. You're not under the law anymore. You're not under the condemnation that says that when you sin, you've now, you're now separate from God. God no longer has anything to do with you. You've been discarded. That's what the enemy will tell you, and it's a lie. What the truth is, is that you are the righteousness of Christ in him. He calls you the righteousness of Christ. And you say, well, how can that be if I'm still sinning? Then I just simply say, understand that he has made you righteous, and you'll stop sinning. When you understand that, that he's made you righteous, then you will begin to walk in the righteousness of Christ. It starts with a change of mind. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, 
we were saved through faith. When you were saved, you what? How, 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 did you, how were you saved in the first place? By grace and by faith and by faith in what? In who? In Christ. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that was all that it took. I mean, there was no contract sign. There was no like, you know, like, you know, like if you go in for like a, to buy a new phone, you're going to sign like a contract for that phone. It's like there's going to be all this paperwork. It's like there's no paperwork. It's simply belief. And now, you, and now you're walking a different path. And now God is working out transformation in your life. And sometimes that takes time. But I know, but if you, if you by faith believe it, it's the same way with healing. Sometimes with healing, it's like instantaneous healing. Other times, there are times it takes a little bit, because sometimes God's got to work out all the doubt and unbelief. That's usually what it happens, is that we, there's doubt and there's unbelief that God has to deal with in our life. Maybe it's the person who's praying for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's you yourself. It's like there are things like that where it's like doubt and unbelief. Those are things we get plagued with. But God wants to set us free from that. If you know that you are free in Christ, if you know that you are saved, then you can begin to receive the blessings of God. Because if you're still in a place of condemnation, you're still in a place where you think you have to serve your way back into the kingdom and back into his favor. But I want you to know that the year of the Lord's favor is right now. The day of the Lord's favor, right now. The hour of his favor, right now. The second, right now. I love that verse in Amazing Grace where it says, the hour I first believed... Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, grace that my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. I believed it. When you believe something, you receive it. It's like, it's like taking a, a check to the bank, and your belief is signing that check, and you're believing that when you hand in this check that there's going to be money that backs it up. It's the same way when we come to God and we say, Lord, here's my life. I'm signing the check over, and I'm believing you got the grace to cover it. you got the grace to back it up. you got the power to make it worth something. Okay. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If it were by works, you would have made yourself righteous by now. You know, if it were, if, if somehow our works are the thing that made us righteous, then it would have happened by now. All right, let's keep going. Uh, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has prepared in advance for us to do. See, here's the awesome thing is that the works, God is still calling you to works. But guess what? He already has already placed them there in advance for you. Just by faith, now we're going out and trying to find, God, what's next? What's next? What else you got for me, Lord? So we can do it in joy. We can do these works out of the joy of our salvation because the joy of our salvation has been restored through what Jesus has already done. So now we can actually do those things. We can do those good works. We aren't doing good works so that we can find favor with God. We're in good favor with God, and now we can do good works. You got it? I I really believe that the Lord wants you guys to know that for a long time you've been like that. That's that's how you've been. You've been this 
sheepish lion and you know you feel like there's not really a place for you somehow like in the kingdom of God or even in Destiny City or, or in anything that he doesn't have some kind of a, a plan for you because you still view yourself as though you're still this this just a just a little lamb everything but I want you to know that that Jesus though he was the lamb of God <laughs> He's now the Lion of Judah. He's also the Lion of Judah. He is the, he's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you and it will give life to your mortal bodies. So in that moment of time of need, he is there to quicken you through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you no longer have to go around like the sheepish little lion, but now you can walk around as if God is, he, you know he's in you. You have the confidence that he is in you, that he loves you, that, that you can have no doubt that he loves you. If you have no doubts that he loves you, see, that's the thing with that, with that little, that, that lion. It's like, you know, there's a love. When we begin to understand the love that God has for us and now it becomes reciprocal where we now begin to return the love unto God. We just love him so much. It just, it empowers us. And that's what the grace of God does. It empowers you. And so I believe this year, this year the two things that I see for Destiny City as in terms of going to the next level are supernatural grace and supernatural power in the Holy Spirit. So that we no longer have to walk around like these little, you know, just these little sheep that are just, you know, that, that we just, we, we just need, we kind of need, we need, we need to say, but now God is in us. We understand it. We understand it now. It, it, I hope that it snaps, that we just understand that now Christ is in me. The enemy has zero authority over my life. The keys that Satan once had are no longer his. Jesus has those keys to hell and death. Victory is his. It's all his, and it will always will be. And I just thank God that his grace is just so good. His grace is so sufficient for every need that I have. And the power of the Holy Spirit quickens my body so that I can do supernatural things in Christ. And the enemy has no power. And he's like that, that wolf that was just, you know, he just, he, he had zero power. All, all powers. Now, I want you to know, when, when you understand this about yourself, when you understand that Christ is in you is the hope of glory, that Jesus is in you, that he is no longer angry with you, that he loves you, that he is, has empowered you, when you begin to understand that, I want you to know that the enemy is like that wolf that is just terrified. He's terrified of you. If you go on to read in, in Ephesians, um, let's go down here real quick. Ephesians 2, 14. Let's, let's just go from 11 to 14. I'm going to go to 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. But God, Jesus, brought us near. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now, everybody say, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Through his atonement, you've been brought near. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by what? 
by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. You've now been brought near to Christ. You once were far off. Your sins separated you, but now, because of what Christ has done, he abolished the law. In 1865, slavery was abolished in the United States of America. And that meant that before that time, you could enslave someone. But after that, it was no more. You can't go back. It's done. That law was put in place, and you can't go back. And I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful that's what Jesus did. He abolished that law that kept us in slavery to to all its regulations and all its rules and everything that it demanded. We could never live up to it. Because the moment you lived up to this standard, there was another standard added. The moment you got to that, there was another standard added. You could never live up to it. But there was one man who did. And he took it to the cross and he nailed it there. And he left it there and he abolished it on the cross. And that's what Jesus did. And now he set you free from it. So now you can walk in freedom, in true freedom. That declares that you are sons and daughters of the Most High. That's what he's done for you. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.